0: I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. Um, More importantly, today, I get to speak with Dr. Laura Klappinger, who is Assistant Professor of Anthropology at Utica University. We're, of course, speaking about um, a fascinating new book, Transnational Yoga at Work, Spiritual Tourism and Its Blind Spots. Laura, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Raj. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, there's so many, um, I guess, ways into this conversation, but perhaps you can tell me a thing or two about spiritual tourism or how you mean it in this context and set the scene for us a bit
1: yeah so um what i what I think about as spiritual tourism in this context is um individuals from a lot of places on the globe uh a, a kind of trend in this in this um this experience of people seeking out spirituality, broadly speaking, by by touring, by visiting, right? By visiting another place. And truth be told, when I conceived of this project, I didn't necessarily um go into it with the with the literature and the background and in spiritual tourism in mind. Um, I was interested in um the ways in which India and yoga together were being represented as um uh accessible for an audience who might not otherwise have partaken of 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 yoga. Um and so in you know modern yoga studies as a broadly conceived field um is kind of my way into this to this discipline. Um but then I ended up working as as you'll know from the book with um <clears throat> the people who um, for the most part, are not really accept, um, part of that that conception, right? They're they're just workers um, who are who are employed by uh, this institution, and so this idea of spiritual tourism and its blind spots kind of um, encapsulates this idea that there are people going to India seeking out a, an ashram experience for their own enlightenment or or self benefit. Um, and yet, um, you know, in many ways, totally missing um, the interactions with you know with a whole set of of people that that are not really conceived of as part of the of the search. <laughs> I hope that's clear.
0: So your book uh, is um, ethnographic in nature, and you are speaking with. Those perhaps in the margins, in the periphery, in the shadows, mm-hmm. who support, <laughs> um, make happen <laughs> the, the the stage hands <laughs> for the spiritual tourist uh, performance, if you will. Yes, exactly. What were those conversations like? Uh, how many were there? Tell us a bit about the the the, the research
1: yeah, process. So, so, as an ethnographer, I you know I came from pretty pretty traditional background. The approach of you know participant observation. So I wanted to study and get to know um, primarily women um, because that was more accessible to me as a woman um, who work as cooks and cleaning workers um, at this international ashram in India. And over the course of um, several visits, I presented this idea to the authorities at the ashram and made like, you know, quiet attempts to introduce myself to the women in the kitchen. And I, I don't know by some amazing feat I was granted the permission to to do the work, and then um, the women accepted me to kind of work alongside them. So I I didn't work the the extense um, the extensive day that they did. Um, they would get there about six in the morning and leave about four or six in the evening, depending upon um, the the traffic at the ashram. Um, but I, I worked a, a, a bulk of the day with them, and I I sat on the floor in the kitchen, chopping vegetables, um, rolling out chapati, uh, which is not a um, typical South Indian dish, but was something that we served at the ashram um, and uh, got to know them. Um, And and through that process, uh, those conversations, sometimes they were about work and the hardships of their labor. Um, Oftentimes they were about their home lives, their husbands, their children, grandchildren, their houses. Um, housing was a major source of concern for a lot of these um, very poor women uh, who are employed by the Ashram. Um, and so just, you know, by being part of their community, because I did have the language background, so I was able to, at a certain point, I won't say I ever blended in. Um, I'm a white American woman with a, you know, I was nearing my PhD, and um, there were a lot of things to separate us um, for, for obvious reasons, But but we did develop close friendship. And um yeah, I just I really just got to know about their everyday lives.
0: Perhaps we should um clarify for the listening audience, um, which institution is this? Which ashram is this?
1: Oh, it's the Shivananda Yoga Vedanta Centers, which is an international institution. Um, they were founded in North America and part of you know how I framed my my um project was that this this was the first ashram in the this wide international institution. Um that was in India. So it was after their founder and and guru, um, a man who they call Swami Vishnu Devananda after he had started many different ashrams in North America and Europe. Um, he had the opportunity to open, um, another, another international ashram in his home state of Kerala, which is in South India. And, uh, so that's where um, that's where I based the majority of my research. Um, I, I did um, smaller, shorter term studies in some of the centers, which are like urban um, yoga centers where people come for daily classes um, in Chennai, in Tiruvannantapuram, which is also in Kerala. Um, and in Madurai, there's a small ashram that was newer that I spent a little bit of time in.
0: Just prior to us diving into a bit more of the nuts and bolts of your book, Um one wonders what drew you to this work? Was there a particular interest question in mind or was there a backstory? But what what was what's the sort of um genesis of this line of
1: research? Yeah. Well, in my case, the backstory is kind of important because I, I came to yoga um God, in my in my youth, um, early 20s, uh, I was a dance major in college. Um and had an interest in India and was studying Bharatanatyam. I was um, taking classes in Indian poetry and and Hinduism. Um, just I was I was very interested in, in Indian philosophy and a lot of different aspects of Indian culture, broadly speaking. And um had the opportunity, um, a professor of mine had done a teacher's training with this with this organization, Shivananda. And um, so that's really how I got my start. She recommended I do it um because she said, you know, that's great. Um, to be able to teach yoga as a, as a dancer. And um, you seem to be really interested in how the philosophy and everything. So you should, you should give it a try. Um, so that was my initial kind of foray into this organization. And then I studied and taught with them for, for a number of years before making my first trip to India and, and visiting this ashram. And what happened for me was that I was struck by the, 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 The two different populations that existed in the ashram in India that really don't exist anywhere else in the Shivananda organization, um, because from its founding, the organization is based on this idea, which is shared across lots of different um, similar institutions of karma yoga or selfless service. Um, And so... Pretty much everywhere in the world, the people running the ashrams and institutions, the people doing the cooking, the cleaning—you know, everything from scrubbing toilets to you know running the the you know registration uh, and checking in guests—was uh, done by people who were actually themselves practitioner practitioners of yoga and and um, you know considered this as part of their selfless service. But in the Indian ashram, there was that population of karma yogis, broadly speaking, who you know who taught classes, who did the administration but they weren't the ones cooking and cleaning and um so that was in 2000 so a long long time back more than 20 years ago you now i go i go to india for the first time visit this ashram and i'm like who are all these people who are clearly not you know they're not attending yoga classes they're not in the morning meditation um but they're they're here and they're working and there were quite a considerable number at, at the time of my um my research which was 20 Um, 2009, 10, 11, um, there were about 70 employees. Um, So that's a significant portion of the population. Um, Indian men and women, but mostly women um, who who make under $2 a day um, serving the institution. And that just didn't exist elsewhere. So I came as a kind of insider, (laughs) um, but as a as a critical one who you know had a lot of critical theory background and um I you know I was interested in post-colonial studies and I thought, wow, this is an interesting dynamic here, right? That this this um this institution that conceives of itself as based in solely in karma yoga um has this other this other group working for for them in um uh, and only in specific places. I, I found that in um, in the Bahamas, they also have um, some native Bahamians who work um, in a similar role, um, but much smaller number of people. Um, certainly the majority of the work everywhere else in the institution, as far as I know, is done by carmiogees, um, as they
0: call themselves. What does your book argue? What's the hopeful primary takeaway?
1: Um, well, I think the takeaway that, I mean, a major argument of the book, and it's there in the title, right, is that, that there, and that this, you know, this is not unique to yoga or to spiritual tourism, but there is, that there is a disconnect um, between the privileged few and the underserved majority. Um, And in the context of, of yoga, that there's some hypocrisy there, (laughs) right, I, I won't, I'll call it what I, what I think it is, um, in that it's people who are um, conceiving of what they're doing as self-betterment and um, really about cultivating a, a global community and cultivating peace through yoga. Um, and yet overlook in many ways the, the inequities of our global system Right. And in fact, many in you know, in this particular context, I think it's it's particularly interesting to look at it in the context of spiritual seeking, right? Because it, it really puts those two, those um two ends of the spectrum right in contact, right? Um they that people who are in that uh mindset of speaking um seeking spiritual uplift through through yoga, um uh, many times miss the the inequities that that allow them to have this quote-unquote escape to India right are are formed are, are foundationally um based in other people's struggle um so I mean is that a clear enough statement of my of my argument um
0: uh, my, the questions are always meant to be generative so we'll we right? yeah. it's about the journey um <laughs> so so this um this hypocrisy that uh, this, this this scenario that you describe as hypocrisy of, uh, mm-hmm. these these blind spots mm-hmm. whose blind spots are these are these the blind spots of the spiritual tourists at this particular ashram or otherwise. <laughs> I
1: think both they're both the blind spots of individuals, because I think many of us who are privileged fail to see the ways in which we are. Um, And I speak of that for myself as well, um, that it's 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 takes great work to to learn to self reflect on one's own privilege and. And to conceive of the ways in which it works for for you, <laughs> um, but um, I think it's also structural and institutional, um, so that it's I'm not I'm certainly not in my in my book. Um, this was a, a very Loving critique of an institution that had shaped me as an individual, you know, that I was involved from a very young age. So it was it was core to my my foundation as a as a person, um, many of my teachers, you know, greatly respected in the institution um, still. Um, so it's not necessarily, you know, a blaming of the institution, but a, a, a calling all of us to sort of examine the ways in which um, privilege operates. Um, but to, but to suggest, you know, that, um, if in a context like this, you know, with the greatest sort of highest spiritual aims, right, we don't achieve that, then how could we achieve it when we're just, you know, hotel hopping or, um, uh, you know, doing other types of tourism, right? A lot of the same problems are there, but that even, you know, in the most aspirational settings, um, those inequities are really steep.
0: And so, in this particular context, whose agency would ameliorate this problem immediately? Mm-hmm. Do you feel?
1: Well, I think what where I end uh, where I end in the book, and this, you know, this is always something I wrestled with, right? Is is um, is there is there a solution, and and what would it be? And I think the big takeaways i had after spending my own time you know learning the language um sitting with and getting to know this group of people that i otherwise would not have encountered um that there are some simple ways that the organization could work to to walk the walk of its of its talk of its spiritual you know vision and it wouldn't mean that every person taking a spiritual tourism trip to india would have to speak malayalam you know well enough to communicate you know, deeply with people or, um, you know, to sit and spend their whole time sitting in the kitchen like I did, but that there might be some minor, like much more minor opportunities for people to to interact, right? There might be programming, there might be um, opportunities for the women themselves, who's like many major daily conversations were about their body pain, um, to benefit from, you know, knowledge and lessons in in yoga asana practice right that are being done right next to them right they're they're right there at the ashram but there's somehow some mistranslation so i think the agency i would look to would be in on behalf of the administration to cultivate uh, more opportunities for people to connect um more visibility of the workers you know a, a big piece of what i talk about there is the the blind spots but it's also not um you know blind spots when we conceive of them metaphorically it's like just in your peripheral vision right so if you simply turned your head you you could see what's right there um and so i guess you know what i want to suggest is that it's it wouldn't be such a difficult thing to create those you know visions that those connecting um visions if you like so- i can tell you a story or an example from my
0: You can (laughs) tell me anything you'd like, anything you'd like. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what I was going to, to ask, um, and you can feel free to either respond to this or uh, tell the story first as you wish. Mm -hmm. But what I was going to say, um, uh, and obviously my questions are purposely naive and hopefully generative, but would, um, is this about raising awareness for better conditions for the worker or is this uh, about raising awareness about better administration for for um uh, such spiritual for the administrators in such uh, tourist locations or if you could wave a wand otherwise put what would change
1: mm-hmm. yeah um in some ways um, not directly my intention but it, in some ways i do feel that uh my being there and my, you know, simply calling attention to the environment, um, did did call attention to the workers in ways that, in fact, like they did earn a raise during the course of my field work. Not sure if that was a directly um, response to anything I did or said. Um, although I was asking a lot of people a lot of questions as anthropologists do, um, but um, you know, there there was there was some naive. Uh, justification of, you know, workers being paid the going rate, the local going rate for that type of labor um, that I felt were a little bit hollow in the context of such a wealthy institution. Um, So, you know, there are aspects of the workers' conditions that I feel certainly, if I could wave a magic wand, I would have improved. Um, But I also think that, you know, and and as someone who came from inside this, you know, particular f- framework, you know, I was myself interested in yoga and the many benefits that I thought it could bring, um, calling on spiritual aspirants, people in the West themselves, or, or not just the West. I mean, the, the, the institution often conceives of India and all its others as the West. Right. Um, but many, many of the spiritual tourists now today come from East Asia as well. Um, and, and, and many different parts of the world. Um, but if I can, if I could also just, um, bring awareness to, to those people who insiders to this spiritual enterprise, right. To think about, um, the spiritual, um, as not just, the self and one's own personal growth, but about one's relationship with others. Um, that would be something that I would hope to bring awareness to and, and to shift. Um, that may be, that may be asking too much, but that was, it was what, um, it was a major takeaway for me.
0: Well, one wonders if not, if it is not innate mm. to classical indic spiritual enterprises uh yeah, classical darshanas the 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 process of um um, um however you, we conceive of that um enlightenment moksha mm-hmm. given that given that such paths are typically predicated upon categorical precepts precepts such as satyam, satya et cetera et etc. yeah is it not innate <laughs> to indic personal spiritual growth paradigms mm-hmm. to um to hold compassion and 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 do right by others and and treat others well is that not i mean that doesn't seem to be uh, a disjunction yes
1: right yeah i i agree and i think that um you know there's a lot of good writing in in um in religious studies and and um, that has suggested that this this idea of spirituality oftentimes leads to um, a focus on the self or, or an individualistic approach but i think more recent work has suggested that a lot of people who speak out this seek out the spiritual are also coming at it from a framework that would be supportive of social justice and um certainly it's not a disconnect i don't think to to many of traditions within south asia uh to to think about working for the betterment of all
0: why, right why else would spiritual gurus found ashrams
1: right exactly yeah um and so i mean in in some ways that's the easy piece of my argument is that like this is what should be happening anyway um but it's it felt like it was a missed it was a missed opportunity um i, I will give my example i just um I I had a, uh, an encounter at one point um that that comes up I write about it in the book um with a group of european tourists who had um somebody somehow somebody overheard me speaking malayalam and uh, so they approached me very excitedly to could could I please help them um to communicate with some of the workers that they were trying to speak to um and I said, sure. And, uh, I ended up talking with this this group of European women and, um, they were trying to lobby on behalf of a, a stray dog, um, whose name was Shanti, uh, who was, who was, um, had just given birth to a litter of puppies and, um, they wanted to make sure that Shanti and her puppies were kept warm and dry, and they had actually organized funds to have Shanti's puppies uh, get their vaccinations when needed, when they came of age, and then get spayed and neutered, right? So um, they organized this whole thing, very compassionate, you know, wonderfully friendly attitude toward this animal, um, but they were having trouble because many of the women who cooked and cleaned there and had to access the, the closet where the storage supplies were and where Shanti had taken up to, um, to protect her puppies because it was rainy season, um, they were f- afraid of the dog. And so they didn't want the dog in the storage closet where they were keeping brooms and buckets and mops and stuff. such. And so the woman wanted me to translate and to communicate how important it was that this dog stay safe and dry and warm um, until its puppies could get you know released from her you know get weaned and um be able to get their vaccinations and move on and um and it was it was just a perfect example of a, of that disconnect um because the women i mean who were were perfectly amenable to helping this dog and um eventually did find a place that, that they can relocate the dog and her puppies to to be protected um, they themselves were living in homes that were often flooded by the rain. Um, they were, you know, barely making ends meet to feed their, their children. And um, there was no sense on the part of these ashram guests that they should lobby on behalf of those human beings um, to, you know, raise funds or to, you know, to help them get medical attention if needed. Um, it was It was about the dog. And in fact, what they wanted me to translate was, um the need for the dog to get transported to her doctor's appointments after the ashram visitors who of course were temporary um had vacated the ashram and so um it was a, again it was like a very sweet um, warm gesture on their part um to to work on behalf of of a, a suffering as they perceived an animal um and yet in many ways just missed missed so much of 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 what they were asking these women to do right take time off their lives and work to to take a taxi um to this faraway town to get the dog its um and its puppies their injections um but but also you know not really the, uh, the, the, the story yeah, the story is ahead.
0: fascinating on no no it's just it's a, it's a fascinating story on so many levels there are some fascinating tales about dogs in uh, indic lore um yes. comes to my what comes to mind is Yudhish chara <laughs> entering the gates of heaven and 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 insisting that his um his canine companion accompany him but it, it fascinates me as sort of just a student of life and just a you know I I really don't know how I didn't do an ethnographic project because i love speaking to people and learning about life but this, um, I mean, it, really, there, there, are, there's so much conditioning, cultural conditioning at play, uh, mm-hmm. in in this in this meeting of of individuals and cultures. Um, animals are interesting because different, you know, there's certain animals that one eats, and there's yeah. certain animals that you befriend, and yeah. this is different from culture to culture. Yeah. It would be akin, perhaps, somewhat akin to someone. Uh, taking a spiritual uh, stay in um, America somewhere and bringing to the attention of the staff that there is a pregnant raccoon out in the yard. And the staff's like, well, what? The, I'm sure there are hundreds of pregnant raccoons in, <laughs> in, this, in this zip code alone. Madam, what is your problem? Like, what do you want me to do for the raccoon? No, you need to make sure this raccoon squats in your pantry. hmm and take the raccoon for <laughs> when I'm gone, you've got to take this raccoon to get medical care. And you're like, honey, have you seen me? I can barely afford my own medical care. Right. So, so it's interesting. So the question that arises for me is um, where's the, where's the compassion? Like where's the compassion and the empathy for the person to whom you are speaking. Right. Right. Yeah. But you know, anyhow, fascinating story. Um <laughs> Is this work that you hope to continue in some way that you're still working on? Um, it
1: it is would be was one one doesn't know in the post-COVID era. <laughs> I was um, <laughs> I was uh I was planned to go back um for the first time um in, in a number of years, uh, not since the research, but since 2013. Um I was planned to go back the summer of 2020. And so we all know what happened then. Um <laughs> so uh, 2020
0: wait wait 2020 wait what happened in
1: 2020 right so so yeah that would have been June or July there was a conference I wanted to attend and uh I was thinking about taking up with the some of the newer um activities that the ashram has been doing with um Ayurveda and Ayurvedic massage uh a couple different things happened um obviously the COVID epidemic broke out in in March around right and um, so that put a stop on any university affiliated travel for me and um, I haven't been able to take that up again Um, but also in 2019 um, a a prominent former member of the institution that I studied came forward with um, major allegations of um, sexual and spiritual or sexual and psychological abuse Um, so this was in December of 2019 Um, and after that, following on that, several others came forward and a, a large investigation ensued. And there's still, I don't think any um uh perfect clarity on the organization's cohesion um, between its different, its different international parts um and, and how they've reconciled with those allegations. Um but for me, it certainly put um put the brakes on my um many of my connections there uh so so those two things happen really close together for me um and i haven't so it's not a perfect answer but i haven't really reconciled with what future research i have either in the yoga or ayurveda you know um healing realm or um in india specifically beyond um beyond what i'm working on now which is is more about um Complementary and alternative medicine in the United States. So um, Hmm. I haven't figured out where I I go back to India.
0: (laughs) Oh, it'll, it'll, um, (laughs) it'll manifest as it always does. You know, we uh, never in a thousand years did I see myself or did I even believe in the efficacy of online education. I've been teaching online since 2017 and I teach probably at four to five platforms, some credit, mostly non-credit. And so my long-winded way of saying who knows what's coming next you'll find out it may not be what you expect um yeah that's great um one final question for you Hmm. who's your book for Hmm. Who, who might most enjoy and or benefit from your book? well
1: many people who i met over the years doing my research um who i you know who got to know in the context of yoga um uh practice and you know tell them I'm working on a project we're like I can't wait you know I can't wait to read your book and um in many ways my book fails them because it is so much an academic book um so I hope they read it and I hope they find something interesting in it um there are some accessible chapters I think um but it's a it's it's a scholarly work. Um, it's for anthropologists and yoga studies scholars who who um want stories, want vivid examples of how some of these inequities play out that I think are under undercovered, although in in recent years there's been a lot of really great um feminist and, and anti-racist scholarship on yoga. Um at bringing bringing t- attention to many of these inequities um, in modern yoga studies, um, but I think my work offers something unique in that it presents the voices of this group of Malayalam and Tamil speaking women um, who don't get to to share their stories with this particular um, audience very often. So, um, in some ways, regrettably, it's 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 a book for academics, scholars, anthropologists. Uh, modern yoga studies folks um but i also hope um that some who are practitioners um will will read and will benefit from it even if you know they skip some of the theory heavy stuff
0: i've come to learn over the course really of uh, my journey with an online school uh, Mm creating an online school that's up at two years old-ish uh in a couple weeks um turns too in a couple of weeks actually but but i've come to realize that there are tons of people who are super spiritual and super smart yeah you know some people are neither but apparently some people are both <laughs> and so i find even um, among the uh, practicing crowd uh, they're often interested in monographs and and the latest research on yoga etc etc it's fascinating so yeah. i'm sure there will be a, a number in the audience who would enjoy and, and learn a great deal about this topic um so, yeah, i
1: really hope so <laughs>
0: Is there anything else that you wanted to say or add before we close for today? Mm,
1: I guess I, I will say I'm re- I'm really, um I feel really fortunate that I was introduced to yoga as a practice, as a path um, and had um, an especially wonderful teacher early on in my studies who, um, who reassured me, it, it, like you just said, I think partly you made me think of that. Um, right because that's that's kind of who I was right i was a spiritual seeker uh, who was smart and was thinking critically about this stuff and um, um i'm really grateful to um the many good teachers i had but in particular uh, my teacher whose name was Swami Atma who um when i was wrestling with this this topic early on you know in my 20s trying to figure out well can i write about it and be skeptical and critical of it while still drawing the many benefits um that could be gained or do i have to surrender completely my intellect and he was like absolutely not
0: right (laughs) absolutely i was was just thinking of some of my own teachers and i'm wondering if there is any indic wisdom teacher who says give up your intellect (laughs) right
1: no but you know what raj there is there is a practice and and even um it's far as like Kiran Ryan talks about this in her work where like the Swami that she studied with makes this whole joke on her as an as an academic right because he's like he the whole story about the shoe like there's you step in something brown and, and it's, it's stinky and you're picking it off you, from your shoe and you're like you're an academic here like what is it you know blah 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 and then he's like it's me and I go that's shit and I just you know discard it right there is a, And that happened to me many times throughout my work, that people would see me, higher-ups in the organization would see me taking notes, and I was like, oh, when is she going to just put her pen aside and, you know, like, stop all her questioning mind, you know? Um, there, There's both. I think there's the strong intellectual tradition within in the traditions, but there's also in many places uh the uh,
0: transcendence so. of the intellect yeah. yeah exactly or the, or or how i put it is um there, there are there are empirical uh modes mm-hmm. and there are experiential modes yeah and it need not be so esoteric as uh, mysticism or religiosity one yeah. can easily compare this to food or music right there are, yeah you know there, there there's an experience that right uh, one has and one typically when one has internalized a piece of music and is performing it one doesn't think about um one to think consciously about um, the, the scale or the, or the key or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, yeah so that's... I
1: guess I'll say I'm grateful that I had the right teacher, you know, to say, absolutely. Right. It's all it's all part of it. Um, and especially that, you know, this organization gave me that, you know, gave me the trust and faith to to do this work and write this book. Um, so I'm grateful for that. And uh, I guess that's what I wanted to end with.
0: Listen up, kids. Let me say for the record, if, you, if, you, if you're encountering a spiritual teacher <laughs> right. who, who is advocating the dulling or uh, the giving up of critical thinking, run for the hills. Run. <laughs> you're up to now, no good. <laughs> having said that, <laughs> certainly there's, there's more to the mind uh, than uh, picking things apart. So anyhow, yeah. thank you for appearing on the podcast today.
1: Thank you. I I appreciated the opportunity to to speak with you and your great questions.
0: Great. For those of you listening, we've, of course, been speaking with Dr. Laura Kleppinger about her new fascinating book called Transnational Yoga at Work. Uh, Keep listening, um, keep reading, and keep contemplating um, those in the margins and in the shadows of traditions and institutions, those who make it all happen for us seen or unseen. Take care.